Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson, the host of the show here today on Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. Hope that you're doing well. Lockdown Blue Devils is a daily podcast devoted to everything going on in the life of Duke basketball and Duke athletics. We will be talking about this Duke basketball team gearing up for next year and whether or not there truly is a case to be made for Duke to be the preseason number one team. And I'm going to have my buddy Isaac Trotter from 247 Sports joining us for that conversation and a whole lot more. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow and subscribe to Lockdown Blue Devils for free wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch the show daily on YouTube each and every day. Hit that subscribe button. Your support means the absolute world to us here at Lockdown Blue Devils. And again, leave us a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast platform that you've got out there. The show is on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils, and I'm on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Without further ado, I'm really excited to bring on Isaac Trotter from the aforementioned 247 Sports. Kind enough to join us here today. Isaac, certainly do appreciate the time. I think it's fair for us uh, that we get a little introduction for you in the coverage that you've got on the greatest sport on college basketball there for 247. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep, it's been it's been awesome to be on two four seven's national coverage for college basketball, and you know Duke and Kansas are like the two teams right now battling out this offseason. So it's it's a lot of blue bloods that makes it even more fun. So it's just fun to cover this sport, and it's fun to fun to see how relevant college basketball is a month after the season ends. It feels like the transfer portal has has made this super exciting, and you know it makes my job more fun, and it makes really covering college basketball. Almost a 12-year, 12-month uh, cycle, which can be a little bit exhausting sometimes, but it's only good things when we can talk about basketball pretty much all year round. Yeah, and we're going to find ways to do that. And Duke is a school in which we've been able to do that for, what, 40-plus years with Mike Krzyzewski being there. Um, I will admit, Isaac, I am very guilty, okay, incredibly guilty of looking at things through Duke lenses. So from a national perspective, that's where I want to kind of turn it over to you out of the Chicago area there, where John Shire and Coach K, funny enough, happened to be from, it's crazy to me, at least, um, in a way that Duke is still as relevant, despite the fact that you could argue the greatest coach of all time is no longer the head coach, and just what a great job John Shire has done, and now the year and a half plus that he's been the guy. Totally. I think it, it speaks a lot to John Shire's ability to keep this program on track and following a, a legend like Coach K is no easy task, but John Shire just makes it look really easy. And he's also a great dude. And I think that also really helps too. His his personality is easy to like. I think his coaching style was different than Coach K, maybe a little bit more laid back, not quite as on the officials quite as much, but I think it was a little bit appreciated. And then you see how his team played last year and how much they got better despite all the adversity, all the injuries that they went through. You could tell that he's going to be one of the best coaches in college basketball in a matter of time. He might already be in that mix as one of the top coaches in the country already, but just give him a few more years and he'll be more established. And now we head into the offseason 
season. We see what he's going to do. We see how well he he translates on the recruiting trail. And just the ability to retain guys is also impressive, too. That speaks to the culture that he's developed and guys buying into saying, hey, I want to play for John Shire because I know he can get me better. That's a really, really interesting, you know, kind of subplot of this Duke offseason. So here's the first time he came on my radar, and I was talking to a couple of Duke buddies about this story as well. So, again, Isaac Trotter from 247 Sports is joining us here. In a time where we're looking for content all the time, we're trying to figure out what this Duke roster will look like going into next season. And you take a look at Duke with three sophomores coming back next year and Mark Mitchell, Tyrese Proctor, and Kyle Filipowski. The transfer portal is not something that Duke has needed to rely on as much this year. In fact, it was just a week or two ago uh, that Jeff Goodman reported Duke is the only big one of the two big schools, power six schools in college basketball, to not have a single scholarship player enter the transfer portal, which is just mind-boggling to think about. And here I am on the web, and we see 100 thoughts on the transfer portal posted, a story format by you, uh, really enjoyed reading through that, but not much Duke flavor to it because, like we said, it's crazy that a school like Duke didn't have anybody frustrated by playing time or that sort of thing and even thought to enter the transfer portal. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, and I think that Duke kind of went into this offseason going, hey, retaining our guys is our biggest wins in the transfer portal, keeping those out of the guys out of the transfer portal and also getting those back our biggest wins. And now, listen, that Duke was involved in the transfer portal. They definitely were interested in Caden Shedrick, and I think that was a, been kind of a luxury addition to potentially replace Derek Lively. But when Caden Shedrick picks Texas – I think it really shifts Duke into an understanding of like, hey, we don't really need to go out and add a piece in the transfer portal. If if a guy came in, maybe a center that wants to potentially be a bench role, but kind of the the, the game plan in this transfer portal, if they couldn't get Shedrick, which obviously he didn't, he picks Texas, really feels like Duke is on the line of a shift here to maybe play Kyle Filipowski more at the five get a little bit more smaller, play more guards. You know, last year they played a lot of a lot of non-shooters all at the same time. That was something that was kind of a concern at different aspects. I think that's going to change a little bit next year. Kyle Filipowski moved to the five. You can mix in Ryan Young at the five and also move Filipowski to the four a little bit too. But the days of Kyle Filipowski sharing the front court with this big center like Lively and Young last year for all 40 minutes, I think those are over based on what they've done or what they haven't done, honestly, in the transfer portal. Yeah, we're always at this point a, a day away from the deadline for, for the portal to close, right? So you've got to get in there if you want to be eligible for this upcoming season. And I don't know that there are as many names out there uh, for the five spot for Duke. I know Aziz Bandigo is someone that has been mentioned. Um, but is that more of the conversation now at this point, that you feel okay uh, if you're Duke with Flip playing more of the five a player like Sean Stewart coming in, being a small ball five at six foot eight, or is there still a possibility you think that a, that a transfer comes in for the Blue Devils? Yeah, I, I just haven't heard Duke super, super connected with Aziz yet. I love his film. I think he's phenomenal. I think he'd be a great addition. I think there are some questions, though, if he would be eligible right away. So if we see Duke gets involved with him, maybe it's a situation where, hey, you know, a two-time transfer, maybe he's not able to play right away because he transferred to Utah Valley. He isn't a graduate yet, so he's a two, it would be a second transfer. And the NCAA supposedly is going to crack down on that a little bit. So if they add him and it's like, hey, we might know he has to sit out next year, but then he's a big piece next year, I think that would make a ton of sense. So I think Duke has its full wealth of options. 
But as of right now, I think all eyes are on Jeremy Roach's decision. That's kind of the big fish right now to kind of finalize what this roster looks like. If he comes back, great. If not, I still think that Duke has to feel really good about itself because if if things go the right way, I think Tyrese Proctor could be the best lead guard in college basketball next year. I do too. I, I think that was the biggest one win coming back. I, I think you could argue for sure Filipowski, the ACC player, rookie of the year, deciding to come back for another season is great. But I tell you what, the way Tyrese Proctor was playing down the stretch the last two months of the season, shooting 39% from three, I mean, this guy – I am so excited for what he's going to bring. If Roach does come back, given Proctor is already there, given a player like Jaden Shute, who's coming back for another year, someone who didn't enter the transfer portal to our point a little bit ago out of the state of Illinois, plus all of these uh, high-level freshmen coming in and Jared McCain and Caleb Foster, that backcourt is going to get cra- – there are going to be a lot of guys who want to see the floor, who deserve some time – to see the floor. And then that's where the coaching side comes in your game management and that sort of thing. Totally. And, you know, I think you brought up a good point with Jaden shoot, because especially where I'm at in Chicago, that was a name during the season where they're looking at the box scores and going, Oh, he only played four minutes tonight. Oh, he <laughs> didn't play tonight. Another coach or whatever. And it's like, Oh, that's a guy who could come open. And I, I guarantee you, if Jaden shoot was in the transfer portal, he'd be one of the most high priority players. He checks off a lot of boxes. And so for Duke, to be able to keep him around for a second season is really, really huge. And, you know, I think that there's always going to be an adjustment period when you have freshmen come in and figure out what your roles are. But when you have flip back, when you have Proctor back and we have Mark Mitchell back and you have like these three core pillars, I feel like it makes the job description really easy for everybody else. Tyrese Proctor knows what his job description is. Flip knows what his job description is. Mark Mitchell knows what his job Ryan Young knows that his job description is. And so you have all of these other players going, hey, they know what they're supposed to do. They know their job. They've embraced their job. Now it's my turn to do that. So you have those role culture setters and understanding that, hey, we're, like Mark Mitchell's a great example. Five-star kid. He did not come to Duke with this aspirations of, hey, I need you know, 17, 18 shots a game. I need to get my points. I need to get my numbers so I look good on the NBA mock drafts. Like He didn't act like that. He played winning basketball, and that speaks to John Shire. That speaks to the culture that they have there. And I think these incoming freshmen will kind of buy into that. Kentucky, on the other hand, I think there's a real question about, hey, they got a lot of five-star talent, but are they going to be buying into the roles, maybe taking a lesser role to help Kentucky win? I don't think that's going to be an issue for Duke. I love that. So let's see what this Duke team looks like going into next season because we look at these freshmen. We've talked about them a lot. When Filipowski comes back, you've got uh, Mackenzie Mbaco who makes the decision to back off of his letter of intent and credit to Duke for letting him uh, have that freedom. Uh, again, it goes back to Coach K's decision ultimately to announce to the world, I'm done a year before he's actually done so that Shire can get to work. He's been recruiting these guys for many, many years. But when you look at two guards and Caleb Foster and Jared McCain, who are five stars, but the type of five stars who you would forecast to come back for a few seasons. And then we mentioned Sean Stewart a little bit earlier and another player I'm really excited about in TJ Power. What is this freshman class adding to the mix for Duke? Yeah, they just add a lot of skill. I think Jared McCain's shot making is going to be really, really impactful for this Duke team early. And again, like I think when you have a guy like Tyrese Proctor in the mix, his decision making toward the end of the season, both as a scorer, but also as a distributor, he was taking the singles, I thought, a lot more toward the end of the season. He's not trying to hit that home run, that grand slam every single time with his decision making. That makes these freshman jobs so much easier. So the shot making should play. 
you hope that the injury bug kind of stays away a little bit too, because yeah, that was a big, big problem for Duke last year. It felt like they could never really get into some semblance of like order or balance or, or maybe even just a little bit of like flow. And so if the injury could stay, bug could stay away and you mix in these guys, knowing that they don't have to be stars, but they can be complimentary guys. Hey, you come in, you play defense, you play defense really hard. You lock into understanding what your job is on the defensive end. You get your hands on loose balls. You're diving for loose balls. You're getting deflections. You're not down catch and shoot threes if you have opportunities and transition attack you could be a secondary creator but we don't need you to be the ball dominant 25 26 percent usage rate guy because we got proctor we got flip who's going to handle all those things hey when they double flip be a, a, a willing cutter that's something that i'm really looking for for these duke freshmen those are easy things that i think that these freshmen will be able to they know those things they'll be able to really come in and you'll see a lot of their strengths I don't necessarily think a lot of their flaws will be exposed as much just because Flip is there to take more of that brunt. And Proctor, as he gets a little bit better, can take a little bit more of the brunt of the workload. So that's what I'm excited about, like this meld. And we see a lot of other teams throughout the country in the transfer portal. They they might be older than Duke, but they're new guys coming into new situations. You're trying to figure out, hey, what's my like, how is this all going to work? I think for Duke, it's a little bit easier because of the pieces that they have in place and the culture that they have set, it's going to be easier for Duke for their young guys. Their young guys might play a little bit older because their jobs are going to be a little bit easier and more defined right away. And that's that's a fascinating thing that I'm excited for to see how it comes together for Duke and how quickly it takes for these freshmen to really like find what their job description is and totally you know buy into acing it. Well, I can't wait. I mean, there's still time to be had, and here we are wanting the game to be played right now. You mentioned it, still waiting on Jeremy Roach's decision to be made. Duke was in this position last year, right, when Trevor Keels made the decision to test the waters, left open the idea that he would come back or could come back. He ultimately didn't. John Shire had an ace to pull out, and it was Tyrese Proctor reclassifying, who should be a freshman this year but already has one year of experience moving forward. So, again, the Roach decision looms pretty large here with exactly what that backcourt and team makeup is going to be. Totally. And I think one other thing that we don't necessarily talk enough about is, does a guy like school? That's a really impactful <laughs> piece throughout like some of these stay-or-go decisions. Because I think on paper we could look at mock drafts or top 100s and go, all right, Jeremy Roach probably should go back to school, right? Well, what if he doesn't like school? Like, what if he just wants to start making money? I understand yeah. that, right? Like, that. I think that's a real thing. I think Kevin McCullough is a big example of that in Kansas. Stay or go, not really a top 100 guy for the 2023 NBA draft. But they don't expect him to come back because he just isn't really a fan of spending another season, a year in school. So I think that's a really fascinating subplot, too. And Wendell Green at Auburn, another guy that, like, <laughs> maybe there was some, you know, clashing a little bit with Bruce Pearl. Does he like school? Does he want to be around? Like, all of those situations, he ends up to leave to pursue an NBA career or a a professional career even though he's not really on NBA draft water so I think Jeremy Roach is it would make a lot of sense for him to come back but we really don't know if he loves school or not and I think that's kind of a bigger you know that's a bigger stumbling block for some guys than others no doubt about that yeah I think that when we look at next year's team of course they're going to be fine regardless of what Roach's decision looks like uh, but just the fact that we could get closer to that decision and have these answers I think will be great so that we can really forecast what in the world it's going to look like. So with that being said, we teased a big question at the very beginning. Let's get to it. Should Duke be the preseason number one team in the country? A big question that people are asking, and I want the answer, and we'll do that after our timeout here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. 
Lockdown Blue Devils here today is brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar that you're ever going to find. Just trust me on this one. It's amazing. It's healthy for you, which adds to how awesome it is. These Built Bars are so great, and because that's why they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Yeah, real chocolate and still healthy for you, and coming in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, and so much more. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. Go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club today while you still can and get your specialty flavors at Built.com. Built Bar is a proud sponsor of Locked On Blue Devils. Moving forward here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils, J.J. Jackson alongside my pal Isaac Trotter from 247 Sports. All right, tell me a little bit about some of the stories that you put out there recently and uh, some of the work that you're currently dialed into that people should check out. Uh, yeah, one of the big things we did was 100 quick thoughts on 100 top transfers. That was one thing that I we love that. do. <laughs> yeah, that was that was super fun. Uh, I kind of went through a film review of Hunter Dickinson to Kansas, what that entails, how that's going to come together. Uh, the latest thing that I'm kind of working on is is the scouting reports for the top uncommitted transfers. And then right now is the the thing I'm really looking for is like the deadline closes to enter the transfer portal on Thursday. There's some really big names. There's going to be some huge situations. Like if, if a guy enters the transfer portal, that could force another one to leave. So there's a lot of dominoes potentially falling. So we're really keeping a close eye on the transfer portal right now because, as we know, the transfer portal can change on, on a dime and really does impact the se- next season in a heartbeat. Like So there are a lot of stay-or-go NBA decisions, and I'll be heading to the NBA Draft Combine next week to see a lot of some of these guys who are going to be making some of these decisions, see what how they play next week and how that impacts if they decide to transfer or come back to school. Yeah, a couple of guys, Derek Whitehead, Derek Lively, the second, of course, getting set to start their professional careers at the next level. Uh, we know now that Whitehead is going to have another procedure on his foot, and so um, that's just an unfortunate break. Really uh, thought that I'd get to see more of him on the ball this past season, but boy, Isaac, I think you look at Derek Whitehead, he did so much for his draft stock by being a 43% knockdown shooter for the Stoop team. He totally did, and I think that a lot of people view him as a potential, like, hey, may, maybe we get him a little bit late in the first round. If he had gone back to Duke, he could have been in that top five <laughs> conversation in 2024. So they could really view him as a hot commodity. I would not be surprised, even with the injury concerns, if he's a little bit like A.J. Griffin, where he ends up being a little bit higher than some people might have projected and turns into having a, a really impactful rookie year because he knows how to be a role player, and he – Got to show that a little bit last year at Duke, unfortunately, which they had bigger expectations for him. But being a role player at the NBA can make you a millionaire too, right? Yeah, and I think you'll sign up for that every day of the week. You're still in the NBA, which you certainly love. Okay, so um, next season, we're looking at these preseason rankings. Um, Duke, of course, pretty familiar throughout their program's history and being in the conversation, although for many, year two for John Shire to already be here is uh, is pretty crazy. I think the first question or the first proof here of this is going back to what we originally said that Tyrese Proctor, Cal Filipowski and Mark Mitchell all decide to return for one more season. I mean, how legit is Duke's case to be the preseason number one team? Yeah, I think the if you're looking for the pros and cons lists, the pros is Tyrese Proctor turns into the best guard in college basketball. Kyle Filipowski is the ACC player of the year and potentially the best big man in the country. And then you look at this recruiting class continuing to be one of the most impactful freshman classes in the country. And then you look at some of these young guys like Jade Shute, Christian Reeves, 
it, can they take another step forward? They're talented pieces that they think you could be a, a big part of the future for Duke. That That's kind of like the bullish case for Duke. And I think the other thing, too, is retention. They already understand their roles. And that's that's something that a lot of other teams have a lot of exits. They're having a lot of player reshuffling in and out, up and down. Those are all real cases. And then if you get Jeremy Roach back, you go, okay, well, they have four legitimate proven starters back. Obviously, Brian Young started a bunch of games as well or, or got starters minutes, yeah. I guess, splitting the platoon at the five. So you would feel really good about that. I, I think their biggest competition right now has to be Marquette in Kansas. Marquette is in the similar boat. Got a two seed, got everybody back. You kind of expect them to be good. And it's kind of weird. It's like Duke and Marquette kind of buffed the trends a little bit because what we've seen in the past is teams that play really, really well in March, who maybe they had an underwhelming season in the regular season, but they play well in March. They get a boost in these preseason rankings, which probably don't mean all that much, right? Like North Carolina, number one (laughs) last year, doesn't make the tournament, all those things. Duke did have a decent run in March, but they didn't go to like the final four. Marquette got bounced before the second weekend. But still, both of these teams with retention are coming back. And obviously, Kansas has to be in the mix. Dewan Harris, arguably the best pass-first point guard in the country, really good on-ball defender. And Hunter Dickinson, arguably the best big man in the country, too, and old. Those That's that's the biggest competition right now. I personally have Kansas 1, Duke 2, but I could flip-flop that back and forth. I think I kind of go with Kansas's age and Bill Self a little bit more as the proven coach other than John Shire. Those are the only real reasons that I'd have – Duke number two, but still, I think that you have to look at this Blue Devils team and be really, really excited about what this team could be because you think their floor is pretty high. But, you know, we've seen a lot of sophomore jumps. And if Flip takes another jump and Proctor takes another jump, we could be kicking ourselves for having Duke number two, to be honest. No kidding. Like, we're going to be excited regardless of where Duke is positioned to have those high expectations going into the year. Uh, you're speaking to the Duke crowd right now, Isaac. So you are more than welcome to once again remind people that North Carolina was the preseason number one team in the country and didn't make the tournament. That was uh, pretty fun to watch. Yeah, no. That, and the thing was is uh, they kind of fit the bill, right? Like really rough middle regular season where they get an eight seed and then have a great March and then automatically get a one seed. That's like the, those kind of like weird debates, like how much do you factor in getting hot for four games in March into these preseason polls? And look, everybody's guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. A bunch of other media people are guilty of it. Like you see a great run and they, you see the same faces back and you kind of ignore or gloss over the January and February struggles. That's why Duke, I think, is different. They weren't an eight seed. They weren't some like team that really struggled in the middle of the season. Their struggles – kind of were more because of injury and they still found a way to get it together a little bit and find their stride. They were a four seed and they're really good team, top 15, 16 team in the country. So that's where Duke is a little bit different. Like your core, your base, your building power is off a team that was really successful. You saw those really successful pieces last year and, you know, arguably your, your three of your four most important pieces are coming back. So those are the, those are the, the cases why I think that the Duke preseason hype isn't necessarily wrong or incorrect or kind of similar to like the North Carolina hype from, from last year. You wouldn't even need one hand to count this past season the number of losses that Duke had when they were fully healthy, when everybody was available to be played. They were that great. They ended the season on a 12-game winning streak prior to that Tennessee game in the round of 32, the first game of the season that Mark Mitchell missed, ACC tournament champs in the whole run, and that sort of thing. The last thought for today, uh, Mark Mitchell, haven't spent as much time talking about him, but clearly saw his impact 
when he did not play in that Tennessee game as one of Duke's top defenders. Duke this past season, Isaac, you know all the numbers. 19-1 and when Mark Mitchell scored in double figures. Is he more of an offensive guy this next season? What should we expect out of Mark Mitchell going into year two? Yeah, this is where I go back to this roster construction. If you're going to set up a situation where Flip is playing more of the five and maybe Mitchell, they switch him to playing more of the four on offense. I mean, he can guard whoever, right? right. Like, <laughs> I think he's a defensive player of the year front runner heading into next season nationally and in the ACC. I think he's he's that good on the defensive end. But if he's playing more of the four offensively, I think that we could see a little bit more from his offensive game. I think there's going to be a lot of situation with certain lineups, especially if, if Duke plays those three-guard lineups with Mitchell at the four and Flip at the five. Mitchell's going to be the ob- objectively the easiest one to hide the worst of, or the worst defender on, and I think he's got more to his offensive game. I think we've seen plenty of off the bounce, using his strength, getting into the rim. If he can finish better at the rim, if he can continue to add more of that, uh, if finding a way to convert in the paint, knock down his free throws, get to the free throw line, I I don't see why he can't flirt with double figures. And the thing that we like, uh, the, the thing that I always try to think about is. When you have a guy like Mitchell who's expanding so much or expending so much effort on defense, that takes your legs away on offense too. Like that, it is really hard to play two sides of the floor as hard as he plays on defense. Like it's honestly physically impossible to to do that uh, as a young player. You kind of have to learn and, and adjust your body as you get older. And so, with the effort that he plays on defense, we shouldn't expect him to be this high usage guy on offense. But I think he can be, and I think he can be a really impactful piece. Is it a guy that helps you with scoring nine points a game or 11 points a game or 13 points a game? I guess we'll find out together what his, how big this offensive role is. I think it really does depend on the shot making, maybe the potential jumps from shoot and some of the other guys that you're coming in, some of these young guards. But his ability as a screener to loom in the dunker spot, he's a guy that's a great cutter, so you can't really double flip because he's going to cut to the basket for, for easy, really great looks. I think he's a winning offensive player, even if – the scoring numbers don't necessarily jump off the page or really stun you all that much. First and foremost, he's left-handed, and as a lefty myself, they've always got a special place in my heart. The The three-point percentage uh, was fine off catch-and-shoot scenarios for Mark Mitchell this past year. Granted, it was a line drive. It didn't look the best uh, out of his hands, but he knocked it down, and that's exactly what you're looking for. This was a whole lot of fun today, Isaac, talking about Duke basketball in May, having fun conversations as to what this team – could be moving forward. If you will, tell us one more time, where can we find all of your work, promote the 247 staff that you guys had, had Brandon Jenkins on the show earlier in the week to talk about the next level recruits for Duke basketball. So give us the full plugs. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore Trotter, uh, 247sports.com. Subscribe if you if you want. Like I think it's great stuff there, especially on that Duke page. Adam Rowe does a great job over there. And then our recruiting guys are all over it. And, you know, my job is to kind of add a little bit more of like the, the transfer portal. And Travis Brandon does a great job covering it, but add more of like the the breaking down the rosters and moving forward what those look like. So we have a we have a great team. We'd love if you hop on board. And this is super fun anytime, man. Isaac, thanks for the time. We'll do this again soon, okay? Sounds great. All right, that's Isaac Trotter. He's joining us here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils, and that brings us to a close here for today's show. Thanks again for your support of the program. Josh Cox is back on the show with us again tomorrow. That's going to do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you, and good day.